Lit Chat listeners, this is PJ. And this is Bonnie. And we are going to be talking about our reads today. I actually read quite a bit this last month. I, Which is why you're going first. Just decided, <laughs> you know, there's some stuff I had sitting around. There's some stuff I found. So the first two I read are both by Diane Kelly. I've talked about her before. She writes several little cozy mystery series. Okay. And she had... I had read one that she had written. It's a Southern Home Brew Mystery where Hattie has started her own moonshine business in, I think it's Chattanooga. This particular book is the second book in the series and it's titled The Proof is in the Poison. And there was a train convention and Hattie thought it would be really good if she could get into that and pass out coupons and have a meet and greet with her moonshine to introduce it to more people and worked out rather well until one person ended up dead, supposedly after drinking her moonshine. It's always that until, huh? She did not discover the body, though. That is one thing. (laughs) Usually, our heroine is the one that continually discovers the body. That's a small victory, but we'll give it to uh, her. It ended up being a lot about spousal abuse, domestic abuse, and the lengths people will go to get themselves out of it, even after 50-some-odd years. Oh, sad. Yes, but it was interesting, you know. These are cozy mysteries, so how much of the abuse is or how much detail they don't give a lot of detail basically that it was going on for several years the almost the entire time these two people were married okay and she just kind of knuckled under while their kids were at home and she never really did anything that would set her husband off her kids would have nothing to do with her husband after they grew up and moved out of the house for obvious reasons yeah The type of poisoning was interesting. It was methanol poisoning. Oh. And methanol is actually a product of moonshine production. Oh. And see, that's where this comes into this story, is that it could possibly have been her moonshine if she had not followed the rules in producing her moonshine. Like there's, it's like those things, there's a certain amount of toxins and so many things that we eat and drink. Yeah. But you have to have a certain level and it has to be in the processing. There's a way to get rid of it and and all this stuff. So you have to have this really close eye on your processing of your moonshine to make sure that you don't get this ethanol poisoning. I think I heard that during the Prohibition era, you know, so many people were trying to make money. So they would do their own moonshine Mm -hmm. and it would often lead to like fatalities because... They weren't focused on how to do it properly. They were just there yeah. to get the money. There was a story that they brought out about a bunch of people that were found dead after drinking homemade moonshine back in that era, you know, and that's yeah. how. So it was a process, but it is part of the process. And that's why, you know, she was under suspicion again. <laughs> but all's well that ends well. I, I like them. They're interesting little easy reads. Then the next one that I read by her is a new series she's starting. Okay. She's kind of stopped a bunch of her other ones, and now these are the two she's focusing on now. And it's Mountain Lodge Top Mystery, and this Misty Murphy has retired. 
She's just divorced, very amicable divorce. Her husband and her just decided it's not working anymore. The kids are grown and we're going to go our separate ways. Okay. And there was this mountaintop lodge that she used to go to as a kid in North Carolina, not too far from the Appalachian Trail. She gets a good deal on it and buys the place because it had been closed down. So she decides she's going to be a lodge owner. So she goes out. She gets the place all fixed up. The first group that she has there, she, she like put out feelers on the internet. And this group says, yeah, we'd love to use your lodge. It, it doesn't have very many rooms. Mm-hmm. So she's going to like basically hype it more for conventions and company meetings and stuff like that. And this yoga class, usually this lady takes her patrons, you know, on a sabbatical sort of thing, a seminar. And so she brings her yoga class to the lodge. Of course, somebody ends up dead. Now, is a person that's dead part of this yoga? Yes. Okay. We, we have some major characters, I think, that are going to be ongoing. We have Misty, of course, who owns the lodge. We have Patty, the owner of the diner across the road, who is just gung-ho into everything, willing to help. And she is now hired by Misty to provide the breakfast every morning. Lovely. Um, you know, so do you the see them as being like maybe best friends? Or yes. They very close become at least? very close friends. You have Rocky, the romance in this one, of who course. is Mr. Fix-It. He's the fix-it guy in town. And of course he helps with all the fix-it stuff around the lodge. And Bryn is a Wiccan person who has been hired as the assistant. And she has had some history with the local law enforcement over some of her antics and now um, that is interesting do you hear um does it tell you a little bit about her wiccan practices a little bit Uh, it goes into a little bit of the things she did and why (coughs) she was in trouble with the law for some of them um and then we have yeti the cat and molasses the dog (laughs) who i feel are going to be you know incorporated into the stories because she usually incorporates the animals into the stories a little bit It was very ingenious how the killer managed to do a locked door murder and uh, almost got away with it. Um, Oh. So, yeah, that one was rather interesting, but, you know, didn't do a lot because it's a cozy mystery. Not a lot of gore is talked about, you know. Which is good. You know, some people don't want that. Just another one of those little... Although I do have to randomly ask. Now, you said Misty had just retired, right? Right. You just retired also. Are you looking to buy a lodge? No. <laughs> no, I am not. Yeah, when I thought I about that. I don't want to own my own business. I'm sorry. I I just don't want that hassle. Well, I just <laughs> thought if you're retired, like, give yourself... I, I would think if I were retired, I'd want to give myself some time and maybe do volunteering and stuff, but own a lodge and get into a whole new thing that seems complicated and big. Right. Doesn't yeah. scream to me retirement. It didn't me either, but <laughs> hey, you know, to each his own. And then um, I talked about, I'm not sure when I talked about it, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child have a sort of new series that they've started. They had their Pendergast series and yes. a couple of other people that they wrote about. And I had read Old Bones, which reintroduced Nora Kelly as an archaeologist. And Corey Swanson is an FBI agent who had sort of been Pendergast's protege. Okay. Well, they're at it again. And this time they're in Arizona or New Mexico. 
Some you might know the, the atomic test site. Was that done in Arizona or New Mexico? I think it's New Mexico. Okay. So they are stationed in Albuquerque. So yeah, New Mexico. You have a sheriff involved who actually wears a set of ivory-handled six guns. Oh. Ivory-handled Western-style guns. Does he come from a long family of sheriffs? Okay. Yes, and these were his grandfather's guns. That's exactly what I thought. Yes. And he's practiced from when he was a young man on fast draws, which comes in handy in the story at one point. All right. But um, it basically incorporates the history of the atomic bomb test, Trinity, that was done in July of 1945 to test the first atomic bomb. And also Spanish treasure from 1680 that was rumored to be buried on the military land out there. Oh. And this old ghost town called High Lonesome is where a lot of the activity takes place. This is where the dead body is found, and then the dead body is found to be radioactive. So they have to figure out why, (laughs) because High Lonesome was not anywhere near the test site, so to speak. It was far enough away. Okay, because I was going to say any radioactive things there. So they can't figure out why this guy is here in this ghost town. And why somebody was willing for the sheriff to shoot him when the sheriff found him looting the site to keep it quiet. So we have all kinds of different things going on. And we have all kinds of nasty bad people from high up in the military to business people in town to... So this is giving me a couple of Indiana Jones vibes. Which also, with that said, I'm really excited that the new one's coming out. But it sounds like Indiana Jones meets, I don't know, who's a famous detective? don't know. Your modern day detective. I mean, it just seems like it's full yeah, of drama, it, surprises, and fun. Yes, it is. And of course, Nora and, Ke- and Corey have kind of a history because in the first book, Nora's out at this archaeological site and Corey shows up telling her, you got to shut it down because I got an issue with what's going on. And now this time, Corey actually, you know, when they find this dead body, they don't know it's radioactive at first, but because it's on federal land, Mm -hmm. Corey is sent out there as kind of a, she'd been involved in a incident with a shootout and her mentor supervisor, I think is trying to send her off on something supposedly easy. Oh, nice try. (laughs) And when she finds his body and realizes that there's other stuff going on and that the body needs to be excavated properly, Mm -hmm. not just a bunch of FBI people come in, scoop up the bones and take them out because there might be other stuff around, which was why this guy was digging around this guy. Yeah. So she contacts Nora And Nora's having issues at her job, so yeah, let me come out there. And uh, she agrees to come out there, and they both, of course, get involved, and then they're almost killed, and because the bad guys catch them, and they manage to escape. And that sounds like a really scary situation because anytime you think of like nuclear, and of course the Spanish treasure 
feeds into the story quite a bit. You know, it's rumored to be just a myth. Is the Spanish then, treasure supposed to be in this nuclear? Yes. There's no way I'd want it, Bonnie. You get well, you get gold and then what? Cancer from the... No. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... Well, it's rumored to be on the military land, so I'm assuming it was close enough, but maybe yeah. not because they were far enough away from the barracks and stuff that it didn't affect it. Okay. didn't affect the people in the barracks when they did this test site. So it just, it could be that it was far enough off that it didn't affect where the treasure was. And I think it was. It was almost to the okay. edge of the military place. Because I was going to say, that doesn't seem like but a great treasure. the guy that was found, the body that was found, he had this particularly rare gold cross on him and... That's how the Spanish treasure angle comes into it is, well, maybe he actually found this treasure that everybody thought didn't exist. Yeah. Now they've got to discover if there really was a treasure. And that's where all the bad guys come in. Of course. (laughs) Because you're military now, somehow they've managed to put a tap on Corey's phone. So every time she makes a phone call, they know what she's doing. So... That's kind of how much is the military trying to hide? What is the military trying to hide? And Well, yeah, because that seems yeah. like they're breaking the rights, the civil rights of Corey. And the fact that the guy was found radioactive, they have to try to figure out what he was doing. In that area. In yeah. that area and why he was in that area. And why didn't the military make sure there was nobody in the area before they set the bomb? I mean, technically, there wasn't supposed to be anybody. The guy was trespassing, but you would have thought they would have done a sweep somehow of the area just to make sure. I would think so. I mean. But so, yeah, that one gets a little interesting near the end and when everything starts coming together. So Very cool. He's taken some of these uh, archaeological sites and myths and stuff and incorporated them into an FBI story. And then there's some history to it, right? a little bit of history involved in there, yeah. And then, I'm sure I've talked about him before. There's a series of books that Lorian Berenson wrote about poodles. And it's a mystery series, and the major characters own standard poodles, you know, the big ones. Yes, I remember you talking about this series. Well, Aunt Peg was always involved. Aunt Peg was the one that raised and bred and judged because the these are show dogs right yes okay they're show dogs and in the last book peg's sister-in-law shows up on the scene as a murder suspect so after they've gotten back together now rose used to be a nun and her husband used to be a priest and when they decided to get out of it they fell in love and so they left the church and got married but they've started a a house for abused women. They bought a house, and so they have this place for abused women to go. Rose is like, I've got to try to reach out to Peg, because, you know, that's, it's just bad that we're related, you know, we're sister-in-laws, and we don't speak, and every time we do, we get in a fight. (laughs) (laughs) They start out by Rose asked Peg to join her as a bridge partner at this bridge club. And then one leg needs to another, and one of the bridge people end up dead. And now Peg and Rose are going to solve this murder. (laughs) 
together. And they managed to overcome some of their differences and get themselves in trouble. And I like how the, like, just, the murder is going to... Nothing else has brought them together, but this murder is going to do it for them. Yes, and it does. <laughs> it, it does start healing some of the old wounds. Well, I but, guess because there's a big... like. Well, and they're talking. See, used to, they wouldn't even talk. They couldn't have a conversation. But I guess it's because so, it's a higher reasoning, like you have right. to solve a murder, which is a priority so we as have opposed to, to... we have to figure out how we're going to yeah. do this. And of course, over the course of that, they figure out why they had this animosity between them. And of course, Peter, Rose's husband, is like sort of counseling her, saying, well, Mary, maybe it's not all Peg. Maybe you're part of the problem, too. You know, and so Rose has to do some soul searching and Peg in the meantime is doing some soul searching. And so they end up having a conversation where they kind of at least find out why they both felt the way they did. So they're in the process now of healing that relationship. So I expect more stories with Peg and Rose. Do you think they'll be teaming up? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And I think they're going to bring Melanie back into it. See, Melanie was on vacation with her husband and kids, so she wasn't around for this one. And that's why Peg and Rose had to do it on their own. I mean, that's fair. Everyone deserves you know. a vacation. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I think Peg and Rose are going to be back together. And whether Melanie gets incorporated or not, who knows? I'm sure she'll be involved in some of them. Once Rose takes a vacation. <laughs> no, I think maybe Peg would take the vacation and Melanie and Rose would get Yeah, Who knows? That's an interesting little series if you like dogs and you like mysteries. And, and they do talk about the dog shows and things that go on at dog shows. I call it a cozy mystery. It might be a little more than a cozy mystery, but not quite. Yeah. And then the last thing I read, it was a what they call a continuity series where six different authors wrote the series. Oh, and you wow. start with the it was called Protecting the Witnesses. It's an inspirational suspense romance. Wow. And it's about the witness protection program and how the US Marshals run that program and the fact that they end up with an information leak on some of their witnesses that are being protected and some of these women are starting to end up dead because oh. of this Chicago mob. And so now the FBI is brought in and it's six books. Short, rather short little books. They are inspirational. The most romance that goes on in them is some kissing. So you don't have a lot of steamy sex scenes. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how people who are in the program act. But some of them just left the program and didn't tell the marshal service they were gone. So they kind of disappear off the radar. Now the marshals have to try to find them. You have children that are trying to find their parents. I mean, I just imagine it is hard you because have, you're having to yes, give up your life um, and the people that you know the best once you enter. Well, in the first book, it was twins. The one twin was in the program and the other twin just happened to move close to the same area when she was looking to change her herself, not even realizing that her sister was that oh. close. And the guy, the mob, is basically they're after one woman. But they're killing everyone who looks like her that was in the system. Ooh. They've got this leak in the marshal's office who's been feeding them information. This lady 
that they're looking for is like in her 50s or 60s, yet they're killing off 20-year-old people that look like her. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, maybe they're killing the person because they don't have enough detail. But I mean, no, 2050 they, they know is what a very she looked change. like yeah. when she basically testified against the mob boss and they put her in the program like when she was 20 years old. And that's what they're going by. You would think the mob would be smarter than that, but obviously not. Unless also, like, uh, I'm just going to put this, not the mob, but I think these nefarious people in real life, they just don't care. Yeah, well, that's part of they it, too. They don't care. They have no no qualms about collateral damage or anything else when they're out to get these people. But it was just, and, and that's one thing they brought up. Why are they going after 20-year-olds when they know this woman has to be in her 50s by now? Yeah. I understand it if it's something sense. where, like, they're sending a message. But clearly, I mean, the book would have told you that they were trying to send a message. Clearly, the book didn't tell you that. So they're just being Yeah, because careless the, and... the marshal service was trying to keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's interesting, the romances that develop and how they go about trying to keep people safe and still do things. It was a nice, interesting little series. Little suspense. And did not you, a lot of stuff. Did it blend well? Because you said six oh, yeah. authors it's like wrote it. The first one writes it. There must have been some sort of outline to start with. I don't know how these things really work. But at the end of the first book, you introduce the heroine in the next book. Okay. And so then at the end of that one, then you have this other woman that's introduced and what happens to her. That's nice because I feel like with a concept like this, it could either be choppy or... Oh, it flowed. It doesn't, like, even the tone that it starts off with may change with every author and stuff. And that could be kind of frustrating and annoying. So it's great that it, it... It was very well done. Nice. All right, so I read three books. Um, One of them I'm not going to talk as much about because you already talked about it. You lent me The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley, and I loved it. Okay. It was great. Definitely friends that shouldn't be friends anymore. There's a lot of toxicity. Yep. It was funny because as I was reading this, I'm like, what does it matter with you guys? Like, you're not in high school anymore. You've grown up. You need to just, like, realize that you guys are not Act good. Act like for- you're grown up. Yes, but also you guys have to realize, like, you're not good for each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things that happen in college sometimes need to just stay in college, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. A lot of the drama and a lot of the stuff, it was like, this is what it felt like to be in high school. <laughs> right? And I'm just like, why do you guys grow up dealing with this drama? I mean, let me tell you. As soon as I left high school and went to college, I prioritized who actually was a friend. Uh Uh-huh. Who did I have to get rid of in my life so that I wouldn't have toxicity in my life. But you also have to remember that book was also about stalking. Yes. I liked it a lot. Throughout the whole thing, I was like, just grow up already, people. You wanted to smack a few of them across across the head and go. And I think you're right. There are times where you're just like, yep. You deserve that. Uh-huh. And other times where you're just like, oh, <laughs> you need to stop being friends with this person. Right. So yeah, thank you for letting me borrow it. It was a great book. Now, the other one, I also mentioned this in, I don't think it was in this podcast. It was in another podcast. It was a Hacienda. I hadn't finished it yet. The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas. 
And what caught me about this book, what really grabbed me into wanting to read this book is that it said Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca. And I really liked Mexican Gothic. And it's kind of funny because I'm not into scary anything. Right. I'm really not. But I've realized that in the past couple of years, I've been getting into gothic scary books. Yeah. Like Mexican gothic and then this, the Hacienda. And then there was The Gods of Jade and Shadow was a little out there. And and then I got another book just recently. It was an advanced reader and it says... Mexican Gothic meets, and I was like, ah, you had me at Mexican Gothic, right? So, <laughs> so I think it's funny because I'm, I would have never wanted to read these books, but I think that's part of the great thing about Lit Chat, right? I hope and try to put out a selection of books that you guys will pick and hope that it's a little bit of everything. Right. So I did, I really liked the Hacienda. There was a bit of romance and there were a couple of saucy parts, but it wasn't the main focus. And even the saucy parts, I'd say like one or two. And it wasn't even that saucy, if I'm being honest. I don't know. It was just a good, chilling book. So it's this woman who ends up getting married to a man of wealth. It's coming right after the Mexican Revolution. Her father was executed for being on the wrong side. And so they lost everything. Okay. You know, their name is tarnished because they're associated with the father. They have to live in the aunt's house, and the aunt is just horrible to them, to her and her mom. Basically treats them like hired servants. Cinderella type syndrome. Okay. So she feels like the only way that she can get out of the situation and help her mom is if she marries into a wealthy class. She ends up marrying this man who, not really out of love, more just because of need to better her situation, better her mom's situation, get out of the aunt's house. And he spends a lot of his time, because he's in the military slash government He spends a lot of his time in Mexico City, so he goes between Mexico City and where this hacienda is, which I believe is San Isidro, if I'm not mistaken. So he takes her to where the hacienda is, their family hacienda, and basically ends up leaving her there because he has to go back to Mexico City. Now, does her mother join her there? No, her mother is highly upset with her for marrying this man and wants nothing to do with her. Okay. Even though she's like, hey, I'd love for you to come and visit. I'd love for you to come and live here. The mom just, nada. Which even then you find out that's what the husband wants you to think. That there's a rift between them. But um, the husband's kind of devious. And you find out that like he... Sounds like something I might enjoy. He hid the letters from her. But that's not even like a big... That's so little compared to... So yes, he's in Mexico City. She is living in this hacienda with the sister-in-law and the servants. Early on, the sister-in-law and the servants don't live in the main house. Oh. They don't want to be in the main house. So she's like in this big, huge hacienda all by herself. They'll go into the kitchen and stuff, but the sister-in-law does not live in the house. Huh. Okay. And so right off the bat, she starts encountering paranormal stuff. Ooh. She's having these visions, and she's starting to realize that there's more to this house than meets the eye. There's a sinister spirit, and she starts to realize that the sister-in-law knows more than she's 
letting on. And even the servants, because like I said, the servants do not want to see in that house. So there's something sinister going on. Now, do they go in and clean it? Yes. Okay. They're, they they do their service, like they do what they have to do, but they're not spending their free Any time, time in that house. Any more time they have to. Exactly. Right. Okay. Now, does the, is the husband aware of this, or do we know? No. It seems like the husband doesn't stay in the hacienda long, long enough. enough. And also, I think that the, like, spirits target certain people. Ah. And she just happens to be one of them. So she ends up getting the help of a priest who is, he knows some witchcraft. Hmm. He knows witchcraft that he, his grandmother taught him. But it's not sinister witchcraft. It's like, I would say it's almost kind of like a Wicca thing. He's not meant to use it for sinister purposes. He's meant to help people out. Right. So he has remedies to help people out when there's like typhoid fever breakout. Because he's a priest, there's remedies for him. Like if there's a bad spirit, he has paranormal. So he's able to listen. Like he, he says that the house can talk to him. Uh-huh. So he has some paranormal things too. And the funny thing with him is like he becomes a priest because he actually goes into hiding because this is during the time of the Inquisition or one of the inquisitions. So his best chance of surviving, because everybody, like, because he's a witch, his best is way- Is to become of, a priest. Yes, so he okay. has to do it in so hiding. Kind of incognito. Yeah. Okay. It's the mystery of what is the sinister spirit? Why is the sinister spirit targeting her and is in the house? And how can we get rid of it? The end is just amazing, but also, like, I just really liked it. But at the same time, I'm like, you cannot pay me to stay in that house in the house. <laughs> like, I would have been like, <laughs> no, thank like you. It sounds like a book I, will enjoy, I would enjoy reading, so I'm going to have to look that one up. I did actually give it to Bree to read. I have an arc of it, so when Bree's done, you're more than welcome to um, okay. borrow it. The other one that I read was The Lady from the Black Lagoon. This was also a... Um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. It just sounds like, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Well, no, that's a, that's a very good guess because The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara talks about one of the designers, creators of The Creature of the Black Lagoon. And The Creature of the Black Lagoon is considered one of the most iconic right. universal monsters so I think it's like seven universal monsters. You've got like Dracula, you've got Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and then the creature from the Black Lagoon, and I can't remember the other two. I think it's Wolfman. So they're very <laughs> they're very iconic, you know? Yes. This is a biography following the life of Millicent Fitzpatrick. I was really excited when I first got this as an advanced reader because I love history, but also this was a very little-known piece of history, especially because they tried to erase her accomplishments. So not a lot of people know that it was a woman who designed, primarily designed the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, and people don't know about that because the head of the art department at the time was very jealous that she was getting attention. Of course. So he tried to erase her existence in the production of this. She also was, um, like, she never 
came out and said I was one of the creators. So it follows her story. And she had a very interesting life. Her father, Camille Rossi, was one of the engineers to work on Hearst Castle in San Simeon. And apparently he was a great engineer who came up with some very innovative ways. Like, for example, at one point, Hearst wanted to move this oak that was like, I don't know, I think like 100 years. And rather than chop it down because it wasn't in the place that Hearst wanted, he wanted to move this live oak. And that had never happened before until Camille was able to figure out how to do it and transfer this humongous tree. And keep it alive. But he also was a very problematic character, very moody, very... Not very nice with women, right? (laughs) So it follows her growing up, just her life path. Now, I did not like this book. And it makes me very sad to say that because I looked forward to reading this. But unfortunately, I feel like the focus on Millicent Patrick was lost because a lot of times the author would go into a tangent about her own experiences in Hollywood. She was a producer in Hollywood. And so she starts like, she'll go into talking about her situation. And you're like, well, I'm not here to- I thought this was a book about Millicent. (laughs) Exactly. And I think part of the reason is because I don't know if much is known about Millicent Fitzpatrick for there to warrant such a big book. And maybe she ran out of information and and now she'd already gotten her, you know, advance and she had to come up with a book. (laughs) Yes. So part of it is that there might be like, she might be lacking details because it's just such a difficult subject matter. But, you know, at this point. Why write the book? I'm just like. Or make it smaller. Make it smaller, you know, like. Make it smaller, but. If you don't have the information, you don't have the information. Or change how you go about selling this book. Because I thought it was primarily a biography, but I felt like if she had said my experiences in Hollywood as to those of Millicent Patrick, okay, fine. Then I understand you're bringing your viewpoint and you're also talking about, but I think of a flat out biography. I think it's for one person. I just felt like the light should have been shining on Millicent, and it wasn't. Hmm. I also thought that it was very problematic that the author was very biased. There are certain situations where the author is really quick to put Millicent as a victim, when I don't know that I would think she's a victim. And I feel like when you write a biography, you're not there to give your opinion. You're there just to state the facts, more or less. Or if you do give your opinion, it's not as often as she did. So one of the situations that I am referring to as to, I don't think she was a victim, is Millicent started having an affair with a married man. Right. Her family... Normal in Hollywood. Her family was not acceptant of that. Makes sense. It's the 1950s, 60s, right? So family uh, values are very high. Right. The wife of this man finds out about the affair goes to Camille, the father, and says, please tell your daughter to just stop seeing my husband. I think Camille ends up telling her, you need to stop seeing this married man. He's has a wife, and not only that, the wife is pregnant. You need to stop. Well, then she chose not to end the affair. So what ends up happening is the wife ends up committing suicide while still pregnant. Now, was there something going on previously? In terms of, like, the wife 
Yes. Seems like there had to be for yes. her to just, a fair doesn't necessarily bring about suicide. But also, is Millicent really the victim in the situation? No, she's not. No, yes, because she created a lot of hurt through her actions, and she chose to do these actions. And this is one of those things where, you know, the author's very just, oh, she was a victim, and they treated her horrible, and they turned their back on her. And I'm like, because they don't agree with something that, like, I can't blame them because I'm like, I don't appre- I wouldn't appreciate that either. Yeah. So there's a lot of bias in this. I think the other thing, too, that was just so frustrating is if the author's not talking about her experiences in Hollywood, she's also talking, she's mansplaining the horrors of sexism. Which we don't need to know because we already know them as females. Exactly. And oftentimes she is, it's almost taking like she's taking a rant. She's talking about herself and she's talking about the sexism that she had to deal with. And she relates it to like the sexism that Millicent had to deal with. And I get doing some comparisons, but it's so off. It just honestly feels like a constant rant about how horrible sexism is in Hollywood. Not only that, once again, that's not the topic of the book. Or at least like you can make that into like of subject matter or like a bit of the topic, but not your, that's not your primary topic. But also it was just things like, and people are shocked to find out that there's still sexism going on. And you're like, no, I don't think people are. No, I don't she, think they are. She makes these <laughs> assertions that I'm like, no. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was unfortunate because I thought it sounds like a great subject matter. Like, well, also Millicent, is partly kind of problematic also because she likes to make her as a victim, but I'm like, okay, but Millicent had to think about having affairs with married men. That's not victim. That's just choosing. She also had to think about lying. Like, she said that she was a baroness when she wasn't, and I'm like, okay, why did I lie? Like, she changed her name a lot. And my thing is, as a human being, none of us are perfect, right? Right. And so I would have been okay with... Her been like, okay, this is Millicent Patrick, and, you know, sometimes she would lie. It's the fact that she made her out to be some victim that I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I just, I, mm, I can't When relate. her lying was usually probably what caused half the problems. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, I won't read that one then. But I, I do want to say what I did find, and I did find some inter- things interesting. Millicent Patrick changed her name to Millicent because she was so enamored with the wife of Hearst. But also, Millicent Patrick is one of the animators in Fantasia. Okay. And she specifically worked on the most iconic of all the Fantasia scenes. She worked on the baddie, the villain, the gargoyle-looking thing. Okay. That was one of her designs. And I thought that was very interesting. That's cool. But yes, unfortunately, this book, I just felt like it lacked the focus. I appreciate her trying to tell the story of a a little-known woman who obviously, I feel, did something amazing. But the book could have been shortened. I don't think it necessarily had to be this long, full of rants about the sexism that's still going on. And even, like, my boyfriend got in the car and was, like, so frustrated. Because at one point she's like, and men don't know how terrible sexism is. And he looked at me and was like, what? Um, I'm sorry, but I'd like to think that I know how horrible sexism is. 
And I'm like, yeah, no, she generalizes a lot. And then she did another generalization against men, and my boyfriend's like, this is really annoying, Bala. And I was like, yes, I know. I wanted to stick it out because I wanted to hear more about Millicent. Yes. Okay. But yeah, unfortunately, I just did not like this book at all. It was a very hard read. It was Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara, and all I can say on the good side of this is I did learn some stuff about Millicent Patrick, and I thought some of the stuff was interesting. I just wanted more. Yep. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, next month will be our group read. The book is 40, The 40 Elephants. Yes, and it's by Aaron Bledsoe. So we'll see if, uh, Bonnie, you like it. Because you didn't like the last group read. I was iffy on the last one, yes. I wasn't real enamored with it. But so we'll see how this one goes. And I really liked it. So yes! All right, guys. Till we meet again. Bye, guys. Bye.